0: You are listening to the
1: Reality Steve Podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the
0: latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Katie's upcoming season of The Bachelorette
2: and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up everybody! Welcome to podcast number two twenty six. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Great show for you this week. We've got the Game of Roses podcast hosts Chad Colchin and Lizzie Pace coming on. We had them on at the beginning of the season. I told them we would bring them on at the end, and here they are. So we'll get to them momentarily. I do want to say we were supposed to have a Temptation Island guest this week. One of the singles. Uh, It was supposed to be Alexis, who was involved in in the last couple episodes, probably the most polarizing single out there, based on her actions with Kendall, and then her actions with Kendall and Nicole this past week's episode. Uh, We had a scheduling conflict, so it looks like we're going to try and get her for next week, along with one of the other singles, probably Blake. That's at least who I've asked for. So hopefully we can get that done for you. Um, I do uh, want to talk about, uh, right now, As I record this, I'm recording this open at 6 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday the 17th. As I'm recording this, the Bachelorette Facebook page has not put up the list of guys for this season. I gave you three more today that are on my Twitter. They're on my Instagram stories, and they're saved as part of my Katie's guys in my highlights. So check that out. I've got 12 now up there. So at least when they do release all the guys, I won't have to worry about searching for every single one of them. But um, 12 have already uh, uh, been laid out there for you. But it is a little bit surprising. So, A, they're either not releasing the guys early, like they have the last, I believe, five or six seasons now they've done this. They give you a uh, potential cast list two to three days before filming starts. Or filming starts on Saturday Saturday. And they're just going to release it after I record this, later on tonight, Wednesday night, or, or early in the morning on Thursday. Because sometimes in the past they've released it like three in the morning, and I wake up and I'm like, "Oh boy, got a lot of work to do." So that's where we're at with that. I I don't know what the answer is. I just if if they're going to keep with tradition they have for the last five or six seasons, these guys should be posted within the next twenty four hours. And if we don't see that in the next 24 hours, then chances are they're just deciding not to do that, which would be a horrible decision because posting the guys early. The reason they do it is because they want the public to do their vetting for them and they want the public to report any guys or any contestants because they do this for the bachelor as well. Any contestants that maybe have some sort of problematic past. Um, So. I don't see why they would stop, especially for this season, coming off what we saw in Matt's season, but I don't know. I'm surprised it's not out yet. That's all I can say. So I've given you 12. I think I might have one or two more. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But if the guys are released from the time I record this, uh, I will spend a lot of tomorrow on my Twitter, just giving you basics, because when they release the guys on the Bachelorette Facebook page, it's just first name, last initial age and city. Uh, the whole point is to find out who these people are and to get a, you know, a Tom B in Buffalo, New York. It's just like, OK, well, who's Tom B? We want to know more about him. What's his Instagram? What does he do? And that's what I try and get for you. Just the basics. Full name, age, city, what they do and uh, their Instagram accounts. Of the 12 guys I've released, I believe only two still have their Instagram public. One of them is Josh Monday, which is Mikel Cooper's ex-husband from Ari season. And then one of the guys I released today, which was... Oh, God, I'm already blanking on their names. I'm getting really bad on just forgetting stuff in short term. I don't know what it is. Please don't say old age, even though that's probably what it is. Uh, Samir Vogan, that's his name. Uh, He was still public when I released him today. So... But if you go back to last season, it was the same thing. A majority, 80% of them, had theirs either deactivated or set to private once they had to give up their phones. But there was five or six that still had a a public um, Instagram profile. So it doesn't really mean much. So that's where we're at with Bachelorette. Katie begins filming this weekend. Something interesting that somebody pointed out to me before we get to the interview with Game of Roses podcast is... A few of you had emailed me and said, "Hey, can you go check out Caitlyn's Instagram story today?" And she did a Q and A, and someone asked her about co hosting the Bachelorette and what it's like. And she like made it a point to say that her and Taysha are not the co hosts, and they're not replacing the host of the show. They're just there to be on dates and lend support to Katie. So I'm beginning to think, and if you go back to ABC's statement when they had officially announced that Chris wasn't going to be a, the host of the Bachelorette season. They didn't say that Tayshia and Caitlin were going to be the hosts. They didn't say Tayshia and Caitlin are going to be our new hosts for the season. The actual wording they used was – hold on, let me pull it up. Bachelor ABC. Sorry, should have done this earlier. Um, The wording that they used in their Instagram post said, we support Chris. Um, Chris will not be hosting the next season of The Bachelorette. We support him in the work he's committed to doing. In his absence – Former bachelorettes Taysha Adams and Caitlin Bristow will support the new bachelorette through the next season, which is essentially what Caitlin said on her Instagram story today. We're just there to lend support all season. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means like on the opening montage or the opening segment when we're at the resort, the Grand Tamaya in New Mexico, and the guys are about to come out of the limo. Does Katie have a talk with Taysha and Caitlin? Do Tasha and Caitlyn come in at the end of every cocktail party to say, hey, you know, clinking on a glass and saying Rose Ceremony is about to start? Are they the ones delivering the date cards? Like what if they're not hosting the show like Caitlyn made it a point to say, what are they doing other than we know they're lending support, but in what form? So uh, the other big thing is the voiceover work. You know, a lot of you have already. And trust me, you'll hear us talk about it today on the podcast with Game of Roses. Really surprised that Chris Harrison voiced the After the Final Rose commercials. So what is his punishment? Other than not being on the show, I don't think Chris did voiceover work for the After the Final Rose show for free. I don't think they took his name off the executive producer, Cryon. So if he's still getting paid and he's still an executive producer, what exactly is him... Stepping away for a period of time. He was basically part of every episode of Matt's season. Either visually or in audio form. What does that mean? I would think that Chris would have nothing to do with The Bachelorette. Based on that statement that ABC gave, he shouldn't be part of of Katie's season. So all the voiceover work should be voiced by Taisha or Caitlin or someone else, whoever. And he's obviously not going to be there physically, so um, yeah. I just thought that was interesting when I when I saw that from Caitlin. I didn't I don't know what that means. If they're not hosting, then is this show going to be technically hostless? I don't know. I guess we'll find out as filming begins this weekend. So keep it right here on the on the on my Instagram and on my Twitter during this off season because that's where your, any information I get is going to be posted first before it goes to my column. And obviously the columns will be few and far between for the next uh, month or so until KD season starts back up again. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll have updates whenever I can, just like I do every off season. So without any further ado, let's get going. This is podcast number, what are we at again? 226. And it's a good one. Game of Roses, Chad and Lizzie. Here we go. Okay, uh, let's bring them in. They are the hosts of the Game of Roses podcast, Chad Colchin and Lizzie Pace. We had them on the week before the season end, or started, and I said we'd bring them back when it was over. Here they are now. Guys, thanks for joining me.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah, I feel like a completely <laughs> different person since that first uh, interview.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, Chad I, I, Chad, I want to immediately jump into this. Before the season yeah. started, when I had posted that there was a former contestant who shows up this season, and I was telling everybody it was Heather, but you remained unspoiled. You Mm -hmm. guessed Heather Martin. Can you admit to us now that you'd heard or been told? Because, my God, that guess (laughs) was so far out of left field. She is no way the first name anyone would have thought of that came to mind when I said someone from the past season showing up.
3: For
1: me, it wasn't out of left field. It was actually deductively the only possible choice because I was like, Matt James knows – Hannah Brown, obviously. There were pictures of them together, they were in the quarantine crew and all that. And I was like, could it be Hannah Brown? Would she come back? That seemed too crazy even for The Bachelor. But then I knew that she and Heather Martin were like incredibly close friends. And my assumption was that Matt james and heather martin had already hung out a couple of times that he already knew her that was wrong obviously or at least from what we saw in the show it was presented oh no no
2: you were right on that part no they had i think they put downplayed it on the show but they had definitely met each other not in a dating form but they they had been in the same premises uh before in the past for sure oh that's what i assumed but then i
1: got from the show that maybe that wasn't the case but i just thought i mean it was it was a a pretty big guess, for sure. I wasn't, like, 100% certain about that, but I was like, hey Martin seems like that makes sense, at least, in the context of, like, why some other former player would show up to say, I want a chance to date Matt James.
2: Okay, we, wor- we worked out a little kinks there. Chad's phone was a little bit screwy, uh, but we're, we're we're good to go now, I think. And, um, look, when we had you on, I ca- we, we recorded, I think, it was the week after Christmas, but right before mm-hmm. – the season started and obviously from the very first night of the premiere when stuff started coming down about rachel kirkconnell um it you know took on a life of its own all season and we've been i've been talking about this on my site you guys have been talking about it in your podcast like i don't think we need to revisit hey are and picks bad you know i don't think we need to get into that stuff um we all know what the deal was i i, I want to talk to you guys about this season First, more so in terms of the gameplay and how you guys cover, uh, sure. h- how you guys how you guys cover everything on this show. First, I, I do want to say one thing that's kind of been a sticking point all season with me. It's very small and minor detail. Was I think the first time we had heard Rachel's last name was <laughs> when Rachel <laughs> was when Rachel Lindsay started talking about her. Uh, you know her at the allegations online against her, and Rachel Lindsay, I believe, was the first person this season in a public forum to say Rachel's last name out loud, and she pronounced it Kirkinell. and I'm like, that's not how you pronounce it. Not that I mean, I just the second I saw that last name, I was like, oh, that's Kirkanell, and then everybody mm-hmm. all season seemed to pronounce it Kirkinell. And a uh, good thing Emmanuel got with us last night and pronounced it correctly. Her her last name is pronounced Kirkconnell, not Kirkconnell. And I don't know so many people pronounce it maybe because they took Rachel Lindsay's lead, but I just want to throw that out there that it really it really bothered me all season that Yeah, I was led by Rachel Lindsay. What the fuck? Yeah. The 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 emphasis being on the con in her last name. Kirk Oh, wait, no, Kirk. Kirkconnell instead of Kirkconnell. Yeah, that's where it's Rachel Kirkconnell. Okay, now we've got that settled. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move forward here with this season, uh, Lizzie. Let's start with you. Mm-hmm. I are, <laughs> are you? First off, your your overall view of the season in terms of how it was filmed compared to Clarantasia season. Uh, The bubble, I'm assuming you think Nemecolom was a much better place than than La Quinta. But um, how the filming itself did, the dates itself, and the overall aesthetic of the season.
0: I feel like they completely learned from their experience at La Quinta. The whole season versus the La Quinta season was was basically that meme, what you order online versus what you get in the mail. Yeah. But what you order online is nemical and it was so much better than Laquita. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, even just starting with the limo exits, you have this whole grandiose, you know, passel, essentially, vibe, as opposed to <laughs> pulling up uh, in the back door La <laughs> <at> Quinta. <laughs> well,
2: I mean, I-, I couldn't get, I mean, my depth perception wasn't great, but are we talking Chad? What do you think about a hundred yards from where they met Matt to where they actually walked through those revolving doors? Yeah. I mean, I think it might've been a little
1: less than that, but certainly it it appeared like it had massive depth. It wasn't just somebody standing out in front of the lobby of a hotel. Yeah. It, It reminded me a lot actually of, uh, seasons eight and nine, which were shot in Paris and Italy in respectively kind of giant castles. And, It just, it
2: had a much more bachelor
1: feel than the Laquinta season did for sure. Oh
2: yeah. No, it it definitely did. I thought, I thought you you couldn't go wrong. Now I'm really curious. I've seen the pictures online of the Hyatt Tamaya in New Mexico. I think it's going to be in between a (laughs) Laquinta and a Nemecolin. I I don't think it's as small looking as Laquinta, even though Laquinta is huge. But it's definitely not – it doesn't look as, I don't know, uh, spacious as as Nemecolin was. Um, I don't know if you looked into Tamaya, Grand Tamiya in, in New Mexico. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I've looked at their website quite a bit, and it seems like they have some interesting outdoor activities and stuff, so they might be able to weave some group dates around, you know, fishing or whatever else they've got there but i agree with you it is somewhere right in the middle it seems like at least the layout of the rooms and stuff is a little more Quinta esque they don't have the giant like kind of compound castle where all different rooms are. so um i don't know i i think though it's like in the production of it they seem to have learned a lot more like i will never forget that date that claire had in the La Quinta season <laughs> where they made like a high school production of a castle, they put her in it, and the guys had to come and read the love language to her. I mean, it was terrible. All the Lakita dates were terrible from a production standpoint. And what? I you felt like this season really upped the pool? ante. What's that? You didn't love them scootering around the pool? No, that was terrible. And I'm hopeful <laughs> that, like, even if the environment in New Mexico isn't as great as Nima Cola, and I'm hopeful that at least the producers have learned enough that they can make this what will I guess hopefully be the last bubble season. They can make it look decent, at least.
2: Yeah, I guess we just don't know yet. It seemingly looks like Michelle season is going to film in July, and I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we know as a country in three months. If I, I, certainly international travel is probably out of the, off the board, but domestic right. travel on M- Michelle season very much, I, I would think, still uh, on the table. And Chad, I don't know how you could insult the date that was. Zach and a paper cardboard cutout of a of a cab a New York City cab. <laughs> what was wrong with that? That wasn't Absolutely. wasn't aesthetically pleasing to you? No, it was great. Are you kidding me?
0: And they were sweating buckets. <laughs> I've already blocked that out of my mind.
2: Yeah, yeah, the the sweat, the heat, the fact that oh, I'm gonna take you around. Uh, what a day in New York would be like, even though we're in La Quinta, California, and 117 degrees. And uh, yeah, I mean. It was, let's just say, thank God for Nemecolin because that uh, I think they did a great. It's a great eleven-week commercial for that for that resort for sure. I think a lot of people totally. I think that's why they do these resorts. Go ahead.
0: Something that I'm missing though is the is the pool and hot tub for all the girl chats for the people who are left at the mansion. I did feel at Nemecolin, it felt a lot like they are were in a prison
2: (laughs) yeah we didn't get them in many pools yeah we didn't get them in many pools and it was what mostly Mm -hmm. anytime we saw a a pool or a hot tub it was matt you know in a one-on-one whether it was serena or brie or i believe sarah even had one um but
1: and the one with brie was an exact replica of the date that jojo had with um
2: luke pell right
1: Luke Pell yeah, at anemacolo yeah in a in a very similar looking hot tub, and they even made Luke Pell chop wood just like <laughs> Matt James did I mean yeah. it, was, it was literally the same day,
2: yeah, I mean it's it I think a lot of people forgot I mean, as the season was going on, I totally had forgotten that, oh yeah, that's right, we had one episode of Jojo season filmed here, um mm-hmm. but yeah that i that's right, and I think you guys put that up on one of your videos where you compared you said, look, they did the same. Luke Pell did the same exact thing that Matt did, he chopped wood. And, yeah. Uh, down to
1: the same dialogue. And and we've noticed that too, like the, you know, the skydiving date with Rachel Kirkconnell was an exact replica of a date that Tasha had on her hometown with Colton Underwood in season 23, down to the exact same script that both Tasha and Rachel said about needing to trust each other and taking a leap of faith.
2: Did they, they skydive, Colton and Tasha did skydiving? I thought it was a bungee jump. Or did they do both no. that season?
0: They did both.
2: What yeah, yeah. Hometown was a skydive. Oh, Hometown was, and was a skydive. Hometown
0: had Kate go bungee jumping, and so she did this as revenge. Ah, that's on right. Her mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Um, in terms of the women this season, we had the early villain in Victoria, who is probably one of the least self-aware people that we've ever seen on, the, on this show, because her gameplay within the show versus what she was showing us in her social media play couldn't have been more different. Like I was so confused by this woman. And then I started to realize she just doesn't get it. Um, Chad, your thoughts on Victoria Larson.
1: (laughs) She was one of my favorite players, one of my favorite villains because she was so massively entertaining and very usually as you're saying that lack of self-awareness Uh, I think allowed her to achieve a level of aggression in her play that we have never seen before. It was never apologizing, always just doing whatever she wants. Everybody else is at fault. Never her. We've never seen somebody that that was kind of that intense in terms of a bull in a China shop style strategy. We've seen other villains come in with that. I'm not here to make friends. Fuck you. It's all about me. But usually if they get caught in a trap, they'll acquiesce a little bit or, you know, the lead can say something to make them back off of that strategy a little bit. Victoria four or sorry, Victoria Larson did not do any of that. No. She just came in guns blazing and like never let up. I found it massively entertaining.
3: Lizzie.
0: Yeah. Chad and I constantly thought about it, whether she was playing 10 dimensional chess or not. And Chad was like, Oh, she's doing this grand performance art. Where she's just coming in guns blazing. But I feel like her play style was a little bit more erratic than that, but it was successful. She got an incredibly disproportionate amount of screen time.
1: And she was able to target people and eliminate them almost at will. Uh, Sarah Trot and Marilyn, I forgot her last name, she literally said, you're my next target, went after <laughs> that person, and they were gone that episode.
2: Yeah, it, it's... Um... You know, we both follow Bachelor Data on Instagram and and the work she does is great. And I think the stuff that she pointed out this season, you know, shined a big light on this franchise and how, you mm-hmm. know, poorly the BIPOC contestants were handled and the screen time they were given. And, you know, I, I saw this online and I've seen this a, a few times and, and I agree with it. And then I, parts of me don't agree with it. So, Lizzie, let me know what you think in that mm-hmm. we hear this all the time. Like, look we get that there's going to be drama on this show. Nobody wants to sit and watch this show where 25, 30 women, whatever it may be, all get along with each other and play Kumbaya all the time. Like That's not a show that's going to be remotely interesting to people, and people will turn off their television show, yet people do complain, why do we have to see the drama? Why can't we see relationships developing? Where is the happy medium here with this? I don't
0: think people truly understand what it is that they like about watching a TV show. I know that it's something that we discuss, Chad and I are both TV writers, and you don't want a show that has no drama. Even though in theory you're like, I want all these characters to get along and be in love and have fun. That's not actually what you want to see. What you want to see is this developing story arc and Victoria is compelling television and when we were doing our hypervenge of the show, all of the Chris Harrison bumpers are always, who's going to lose their chance at love with a doctor forever? And we saw it last night when that when he says, is Matt James going to propose or is he going to lose his ability to love forever? That's what you're waiting to see is this heartbreak, this destruction. And, you know... <laughs> clearly we don't need to see successful couples in order to keep watching this show as we're one for 25.
1: I would also add to that, that the drama is inherent in the structure of the game. And this is really what I think a lot of people who watch the bachelor don't quite understand about what they're watching. You are watching this as a sport to see who's going to win. And Victoria Larson comes in with a certain play style and Michelle Young comes in with a certain play style, and you get to watch whose style is going to get them further in this 10-round game. And I'm not saying real emotions aren't involved. Obviously, sometimes they are. Like with uh, Sean Lowe and Catherine Lowe. They're married. They have kids. They love each other. It worked for them. But in order for that to happen, Catherine had to win a 10-round game. And that game is not just playing against the other players. You're also playing against the producers' machinations. And this season, I think more than any other And it really started, I guess, in last season of La Quinta. You could see the producers really starting to toy with shit and saying, how far can we push the lines here of destroying these people completely? And this season, when they brought in the five new players, when the producers decided to include the story of Brittany Galvin's uh, rumor that she was a sex worker, again, the producers decided to put that in the show. That is not necessarily on the players. Yes, Anna Redmond was involved. And the players did kind of like throw gasoline on the fire. But the producers decided to to keep that in the show you watched. All of that is the producers trying to manipulate the game. And so then as a good player, you have to be able to sidestep these things, orchestrate strategies of your own to combat whatever the producers are doing. And that truly is where the drama is coming from. We're watching to see who can survive this psychological and emotional gauntlet that the producers are laying out before them.
2: You know, I should have listened or re-listened to our podcast from back in January because I remember when we did that, you guys were unspoiled, and I know I had asked you guys who were your early frontrunners just based off social media and the mm-hmm. bios that ABC released. Do you guys remember who your picks were, or no? Yes, uh, for
1: La season.
2: No, no, no. For this, for uh, for oh, yeah, for yeah. Okay, who who were they?
0: My top four did not do very well. I had <laughs> I had Cassandra Suarez, I had Mari Peppin, I had Sarah Trot, and there was one other, Chelsea Vaughn.
2: Okay, you didn't have anybody that made the top ten. None of your, I, maybe Chelsea did. Maybe I can't remember where Chelsea finished, but <laughs> yeah, brutal. you know what? My-
0: <laughs> Scott pulled through in the Instagram game. <laughs> yeah,
1: Sarah Trot really. Did redefine the Instagram game and going out that early with self elimination and she held on to fifth place in Instagram overall for all players this season until just last week with uh, almost two hundred thousand followers. Wow. But I had similar picks. Piper James was my only different one and she obviously didn't make it that far either. But I would say no, she made fifth place. Prediction. Piper would got to fifth. What's that?
2: Piper got fifth place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. But I would say our most impressive prediction was we did predict Katie Thurston would be the next Bachelorette just by looking at her Instagram and TikTok before the season started.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, you we did. had Abigail and Katie were our two crown picks.
2: I mean, I uh, well, we'll get to the, we'll get to the Bachelorette stuff in in, in a little bit. I still, right. talk about <laughs> <season>. <laughs> I still want to talk about this uh, season. I still want to talk about this season, Chad. Who was your I guess we're going to have two MVPs here. Who was your gameplay within the show MVP, and who was your social media MVP for this season? I mean,
1: season long, I it may be, they may be both the same. No, I don't know. I'm going to say this. My season MVP was Michelle Young. Mm-hmm. She was thrust into this game halfway through it. That's a choice made by the producers. So this is from the very start of the game. She's there. She's quarantining. The whole thing the producers made up about these five players were putting them in because so many people wanted to meet Matt James. That's a lie. They're inserting them into the game to try and cause uh, panic, to try and cause anxiety amongst all players and to set up this uh, false rival, this rivalry between what was what became known as the varsity and the JV. So that's how she's entering the game. The producers say, here, deal with this. And she says, fine, no problem. I'll walk right in. I'll get this one-on-one. I'm now a front runner." And she makes it all the way, obviously, to second place. And then she's able to parlay that into a crown, which is astounding. Again, she came into the season halfway through, had to deal with that whole shit, made impeccable plays time and time again. She really never made a bad play, including her social media work in the preseason where she very clearly went on Matt James's social media, found some Maya Angelou quotes that she knew that he really liked, <laughs> used them back on him during the show, and even changed her Instagram profile to use that quote. Her profile now, I believe, has 11 posts and she is in the multiple hundreds of thousands of followers. She basically didn't have an Instagram account before yeah. she went on the show. And now, I think once she has her season as crowned, she'll probably have over a million followers. So it's it's hard for me to say there's another better uh social media player katie thurston i think is probably a close second because she's truly the first player that we've seen come from the TikTok world which is going to very drastically and quickly replace instagram as the most prominent social media platform in the world so that's interesting to see where she's going to go with that as well but i would say michelle young gets both of my votes
2: lizzie
0: michelle young was also my mvp of the season I just, I've never seen somebody so prepared for this game. And her play style reminded us a lot of Hannah Sluss. It was very for the right reasons, good girl type thing, but she had this added element of the professional element. She hit the teacher thing over and over, including that child army she brought out on the Zoom during her hometowns. And she had my play of the game last night when she told Patty James about. How she loved matt she didn't just say i loved matt she says when i talked to my mom and my mom could see how in love i was and i told her he's the one it was this beautiful story and it brought patty james to tears and it was literally the most perfectly played meeting of the family i've ever seen um it was incredible no she uh, was
2: she was great and <clears throat> It is kind of funny to look back on it because they usually they haven't done it in a while where they've added people mid season in terms of a multiple additions. You know, mm. They brought five in as opposed to maybe bringing in you know Nick Vile shows up in New York for Caitlyn's season and right. stuff like that, a one off. But to bring in five and it was everything that you said it was, Chad. It was strictly done to add more drama to the house and make sure other people got upset. And they could cancel cocktail parties because Matt was just flustered or whatever. Um, I wonder if this is going to be a new trope going forward. I don't know. I hope not. Um, I mean, they actually. I mean, they added. Even though they brought in a new Bachelorette at the time, they did the same thing with Taysha's season. They brought in when they brought in Taisha. They said, "Oh, by the way, here's four. <laughs> here's four more guys for you. The Spencers. Yeah. The I already fucking forget who the other ones were, but um, <laughs> <laughs> Noah, young Noah Earp was in that. Oh, group. that's right. Noah was. Um, and you know, and I think the funny thing about just looking back on that was that Spencer got her first impression rose and then was mm-hmm. just an absolute non-factor on the show. The guy seems to be a factor off show because all he does seemingly is hang with former contestants. So that's mm-hmm. always interesting. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the finale last night, the the two-hour finale, because there's three parts I want to talk about here. The two-hour finale, we're going to dive into, I mean, your guys, I think your notoriety kind of took off on Instagram with all your Dark Lord Harrison stuff, and now he obviously became... (laughs) 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 I mean, that's what I knew you guys from, and then now he's... Just to see what has happened to him this season, along with Lauren Zima, is is fascinating to me. So that's a that's a, a second part, and then I want to talk about the after the final rose and, and Emmanuel last night. Um, so finale, Chad, is there anything yeah. in the finale that you saw in the two hour finale of what went down in Nemecolon that? Just just give me your thoughts on it. Uh, there, was there gameplay in there? Was there Questionable behavior by anybody? Did you see, like, wow, that was really different than what we usually see in a finale?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was insanely good gameplay. Like, I think Lizzie and I have talked about this on our show for a long time. We break The Bachelor down into the different eras of its existence and, like, when the game makes significant changes. And we were saying for the past, like, season, basically, past year i should say that we were feeling the coming of this new era this professional era where most of the players are aware of the game they're playing and the mechanics used to play it and many of them are going to have like specific strategies coming in we saw that proven all throughout the season but nowhere more than the finale last night where you had rachel kirkconnell and michelle young firing on all cylinders i mean they both were just they played it impeccably, even when Rachel Kirkconnell is having a conversation with Patty James and Patty James asks her, what do you like about Matt James? She flounders a little bit. She's like, well, he's just got a lot of qualities and he's awesome. Oh, and then when we were on our one on one day, uh, you know, he made me feel a way and I liked him. And She's just kind of meandering around saying nothing. But then immediately she walks into like, oh, you know what? Night one, he did a prayer. I love God. That's it. So she used this kind of like Christian era attack on Patty James's mom to say, I see eye to eye with your son in that we are both Christian. And it brought Patty James to tears. And she gets what we call the glow where a parent or a sibling (laughs) or something will say, you look happy or my son or daughter looks happy when they're with you. So she was able to kind of in that moment know that she had to trigger something in Patty James to get that approval. And she was able to do it. It's a very high level uh, play. And obviously Michelle Young made no mistakes all night long. And really what we watched was the culmination of two very impressive season-long professional runs of players who just didn't make errors. And, you know, we saw it bear out in the end with uh, Matt James undergoing all of his, his own kind of dilemmas, I suppose, which, the whole night, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Matt James is saying, I don't know if I'm ready for marriage. I don't know if I'm ready for all this stuff. It's like, isn't that the first question you ask somebody when you're casting a bachelor? Do you want to get married? Like, that's the whole <laughs> premise of the show. Um, but nonetheless, I, I just thought that the play this the season overall, not just Michelle Young and Rachel McConnell, from almost all of the top, you know, 10 players, really was just outstanding. Brie was amazing. Serena P was amazing. Katie obviously was amazing. She was able to take an 11th place finish and turn it into a crown. I mean, that's incredibly impressive third audience game, which is the third audience is the producers. So in terms of gameplay this season, I was astounded. And uh, last night was just, you know, it's like Lizzie said earlier, Michelle Young, that was the best meeting of the family I think we've ever seen in the history of the game.
2: Lizzie, do you think that Those jerseys that Michelle presented to Matt have been burned since then.
0: (laughs) I did suggest to Chad several things that she could have dramatically done with them, (laughs) throw them in the trash, burn them, etc. I thought we call that cringling when you give the bachelor a gift. I thought that was one of the most powerful cringles that we've ever seen. It was almost an ultimatum in itself. Like, here is our future. This is the type of family I want. Make this decision right now. The other thing that really stood out to me last night was we're being told Chris Harrison is taking time off. He's not going to be on after the final rose, but he is narrating this entire episode, including leading up to the after the final rose, introducing Acho. I was like, this is so strange. And he has multiple conversations with Matt James and it just comes across as so sinister when he's, basically trying to force him to propose and like talking shit on Patty James being like, Oh, well you're just going to not do this because your mom says like, what a terrible greeting card. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Lord Harrison. uh, It's amazing to think it. it, It's almost like us knowing what we know now. And then watching that finale. It's like, it's almost like we watching Chris in that finale was something to where did he know that he was gonna be saying this stuff later on? Because it was almost like he knew he was on his way out, and that's why he acted the way he did on that show. He shows up at, <laughs> He shows up at Rachel's door leaning against it with his arm up against the door like, hey and he was there to deliver horrible news. Like <laughs> he's there he to t- that, I, I was just like this was such the cash Chris Harrison um that I just and Lizzie, you nailed it on the head with that. I, and so many people brought it up last night, but not. I, look, I, I didn't expect him to edit. We, we clearly saw from f- three or four episodes back, once the announcement was made, that he wasn't that he was going to take time off and he wasn't going to be after the final rose host. I knew they weren't going to edit him out of the final episodes. However, I did not expect him to voice, "Hey, and Emmanuel Acho sits down with <laughs> James later." I'm like, what the hell? How is he not being he? Can't Emmanuel do that himself? Their own voiceovers, like yeah, yeah. I don't know. Imagine
1: that call, yeah. for, Like some producer called Dark Lord Harrison and was like so. <clears throat> Dark Lord, I know this is uh, a little <laughs> awkward, but we're going to need you to go ahead and record this voiceover that introduces your replacement on After the Play of Rose. And then he obviously has no choice because if he ever wants to come back and host, he's got to do whatever they tell him to do at this point. And so we get this weird moment where he is introducing his own replacement like happily. And then later on after the
2: final rows, Emmanuel Acho is going to take you through what I would normally do. Yeah. Talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just this voice that we're hearing on our screen and it's like and then Emmanuel gets out on stage and does talk about and references Dark Lord Harrison and what he did and it was it... It was great, but it was also quite surreal, to be honest with you. But I, I that that's going to yeah. lead me into talking about, uh, to talking about Chris Harrison and um, the interview with Rachel Lindsay. I don't think we need to go over it. I think it's, I mean, I say it's pretty clear that he spoke. Like I wrote this today, and I think it, it's kind of a lot of what Emmanuel said last night about Rachel. That what Rachel did was racially insensitive and racially ignorant but that doesn't necessarily mean that she is a racist. And, you know, it, I, it was it was a very easy joke to make all season. Oh, Matt James picked the racist, and oh my God, it's mm-hmm. the KKK Kirkconnell family. Like, I think that's a little, well, I don't think it's a little, it's a lot out of line. It, It's what she did, clearly, racially insensitive and racially ignorant. Um, when Chris went on Rachel's, Lindsay's Extra Show, it clearly wasn't to express what he did, because as I've said, her first question to him was, what do you think of the Rachel Kirkconnell allegations? That's all Rachel Lindsay asked him. Mm. And then he just got a fire up his ass and for some reason just decided to start giving his thoughts on, you know, cancel culture and antebellum parties and 50 million people attended them in, in 2018, which I don't know where he <laughs> pulled, pulled that number from, but whatever. <laughs> um, but the thing was, if Chris Harrison, Harrison would have answered Rachel Lindsay's first question with, disappointed to see that one of our contestants attended that party i'm really interested in finding out what she thinks of it now can't wait to speak with her i mean there is no controversy this is not over all the news he's still the host of our show so i get where people are saying hey chris was just basically going on rachel's show to tell people leave rachel kirkconnell alone and let her speak for herself which she hadn't up to that point however don't think anyone's arguing that point what we're saying is he then went on for 13 minutes and showed his ass about what he felt about race relations in this country essentially and why is it such a big deal and all that stuff so um when he did that chad what was your initial reaction to what you thought would happen to his job
1: i thought it would be something like this i mean that interview was set up by abc and extra and all of the different kind of media entities that are involved with it for one specific reason the producers knew at that point that kirkconnell is going to be your ring winner this racism scandal is not going away so they're going to send the dark lord out in front of a camera to try and mitigate the damage that is being done by this scandal as it is erupting so he's given one job go out there and smooth this out like quiet the flames of this because she's going to win our show we have to keep people like at least interested and not let them completely hate her that's his only job he goes out there and instead as you said gives 13 minutes of showing his ass (laughs) you know and you're just like oh fuck what is this guy doing so at the very least like even taking the racism out of it he has botched his only job so badly that there's You know, very necessarily going to be some reprimand for that. And that could be losing your job or, or, you know, getting uh, removed from it for a little while. But the fact that the things he said were racist, or at least in defense of these racist actions and against cancel culture, like all the shit that he said is just like, dude, like you can't say that shit ever, let alone when you're literally sent in to try and mitigate the damage done by a racism controversy in your own show. It was just um, I mean, it was hard to watch for, I think, all of us, you know, and uh, it did seem to me like in that moment, I was like, this is something's going to have to happen, because how can you now put him back on screen after the final rose? How can you have him talking to Rachel Crackle, Matt James, literally anyone on the show at this point? It just it. I thought it was done in that moment i thought he would be back though ultimately for this next season of bachelorette which is now not turning out to be true so i'm curious to see where it all winds up
2: lizzie i
0: could not believe what i was watching this man is the we knew that these were his views we've seen his instagram likes etc but For him to come out with this, I feel like there had to be this extraordinary confluence of events. All of the planets had to align in order for this to happen. You have to have Bachelor Nation already swirling in this racism scandal. You have to have COVID. You have to have the civil unrest that we are experiencing, the resurgence of the Black Lives movement, so that everybody is focused on this. I think that this conversation... If it happened five years ago, would have just, it would have blown over. There just wouldn't have been the level of outcry that we're seeing. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, my God, COVID has gotten to Dark Lord Harrison. He is letting his freak flag fly and airing all of his actual thoughts about all of these things. And I was like, oh, he's fired. He's done. Yeah. Because you can't do this, especially during this time. And I kind of still feel like we, like he's done. Interesting. I just don't, I don't see him coming back. It's
2: interesting. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Chuck. Sorry. What? No, go ahead. I was just going to say
1: that I don't know if he's going to come back either. I thought that he was going to, but then when ABC forced him out to do the good morning America thing with Michael Strahan, I was like, this seems like they're testing the water a little bit. Like there'd be no reason to make him come out that quickly. If they weren't going to use him as a host again, but then that didn't go over well because he's incapable of rendering sincerity when he's, you know, in this apology, he's still in just like the the blank void Chris Harrison mode. And I'm like, at this point, the franchise is moving forward. What Emmanuel Ocho did last night. And I'm sure we'll talk about this. And after the final rose, when we get to it, like he basically proved you don't need Chris Harrison. Yeah. And, uh, You know, we're going to see that done again, I think, in the next Bachelorette season when Taysha and Caitlin Bristow are going to offer us a whole new season of something that is now not this weird patriarchal 50 year old man figure asking 30-year-old Katie Thurston about how she's falling in love. But instead, it's two bachelorettes who have gone through the same process who are more age-appropriate to be confidants to Katie Thurston. And you're going to see a much different version of that show where it's more like this fun kind of sisterhood as Katie is going through it and her two older sisters are like, Telling her what's up instead of this creepy 50 year old man who looks tired and angry all the time asking weird questions and leaning against door frames to deliver bad
3: news.
2: <laughs> see, see I, I, I agree with I would agree with that in terms of the next season and how it makes way more sense for Katie to be surrounded by two women close to her age and who went through the same exact process that she's going through. It makes all the sense in the world. However, when they, when they trotted him out for GMA, and then last night when we got the voiceover of him still doing work for this show, my impression now is, and look, I'm basing this on nothing, I haven't heard anything in regards to his future with this franchise, but I, if I have to make a prediction here on March 16th, my guess, or March, yeah, 16th, whatever the date is, yeah, um, when we're recording this, March 16th, my prediction is, he obviously is out for Bachelorette. I don't think he's doing Paradise, and I don't think he does Michelle's season. However, if I had to predict something, I think he's coming back on Bachelor. It films in September, hmm. but it doesn't air till obviously January of 2022. It'll be nine months since we've seen him on our screen. It, it seems like they want him to come back. Like that's the way I took the GMA interview, which you took it differently, which is which is fine. Hmm. I just see a January 2022 resurgence of Chris Harrison back as the host of this show. That's just my my guess.
1: I think if he is coming back, it's got to be then. If he misses an entire cycle, he's out for ever,
2: out for good, which which entire cycle would mean if he doesn't do because we've got four shows now filming in 2021. We've got. (laughs) we've got Katie season we've got paradise in June we've got Michelle season after that and then we've got bachelor in September so yeah if he misses all four of these good chance he won't be back but if he's back my guess is bachelor I just I I don't see him
0: three and the ratings don't suffer and people start to like forget about hashtag save Chris Harrison I don't know (laughs) I I think maybe use it as an opportunity to launch whoever the next face is.
2: The next Lord. That's the other thing. If it's not Chris and they decide that he is done with this franchise, is it a rotating host? Is it, you know, I don't think Caitlyn and Taysha are going to be the permanent hosts of this show. They're obviously a stopgap for this season, but are Taysha and Caitlyn hosting Paradise in June? Uh, are, Are. uh, are they hosting Michelle's season? I, I, we just don't know. I mean, it's all guessing at this point. But I don't I mean, know I think if you go. That's going to
0: bring additional people in. They're two of the most beloved ex crowns in the franchise. And even if people, you know, maybe they don't want to watch a Katie Thurston season, or maybe they don't want to watch a Michelle Young season, but they want to see Taisha and Caitlin, maybe they'll tune in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I. My thing from the beginning was I always thought even though we we had no idea if and when Chris Harrison was going to be replaced um there were people thinking that he might even show up for Bachelorette and his his time away from the show was only going to be 5 weeks. My always my thought was always I just don't see them going outside this franchise. I didn't know who the host was going to be within the franchise but yeah. the names that were being thrown around of Strahan and Robin Roberts, it's just, it never made sense to me because, first off, they live in New York and they have to be on TV five days a week in New York City. They're not going to leave that show for two months to go hang around in New Mexico to get two minutes of airtime an episode. It's just career move. It's why? Why would they do that? Um, <laughs> even if ABC threw a ton of money at them. They, they, they couldn't have topped what GMA was throwing at them. The Emmanuel Acho thing was interesting, but again, this is a guy that's got a daily show on FS1. Uh, He's not going to leave a daily show where he's on a debate forum show talking sports to go sit in New Mexico for two months and get two minutes of airtime, unless he had negotiated, okay, I'll do this, but you need to change the role of the host on this show. Mm -hmm. I want to have a sit down with the lead and or any troublesome contestants every episode. Like, he would have had to do that, and I just don't think the show's going in that direction. It's just like, okay, let's bring in two girls that people love from this franchise. Easy stopgap. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the way I saw it. I just And going forward, I don't think they're going to bring in a TV vet, because I think any TV vet worth their weight in anything already has a gig that they're not going to leave to do this show, you know? Yeah. No, it's true. I, I mean,
1: Lizzie and I have talked about there being a new structure set up where it's just like the prior lead hosts that season. Prior bachelorette, host bachelorette, prior bachelor, host bachelor.
0: Hmm. Yeah, extended council of crowns, which you usually see early in the season. Someone will come back, usually Sean Lowe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ben Higgins did it in Nemecolon this year.
2: Yeah. What? How about that? We didn't even talk about that. But how about the fact that three different dates were completely cut out of this season? I found that really interesting because they focused on so much you know, drama with uh, – mm-hmm. Within the house, um, you know, we see a uh, a Fear Factor type date. We see a pancake eating date, and what was the other one they didn't show? We saw it on the uh, Women Tell All. What was the other daytime portion of a date that we didn't? Whatever Tasha and uh, JoJo officiated. Um,
1: yeah, I don't remember what it was. There was the hands in the bug boxes. There was yeah. the pancakes and beer.
2: Uh, oh, the um, eggs before the fight before the uh, fight group date yeah Oh God. Yeah. swallowing raw eggs yeah. all of the torture deeds. yeah we'll but it but it but at I least go. showed a different side it, it showed like it just seemed totally. like everything about this season was so you know girls in each other's faces and i'm sure you've seen or listened to some of the podcasts that a lot of these women have done since their elimination and all of them have basically said the same thing like wow watching it back it wasn't that bad we didn't all hate each other like we had a good time together, but they're choosing just to show us fighting. Every single one of these girls has said that.
1: The producers don't like the players. Like, this has been the way that it is since season one, and I know that they have these, in quotes, friendships with them, but that is all a sham so that they can get them to do what they want. And the idea of them cutting these dates, for me, it was like you're watching a football game, and they just decide to not show you a drive. Like, one team's, you know, offensive series, they just take that out of the broadcast and instead they show that team's bench warmers sitting on the bench, like talking to each other. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't there a football game happening here? Can I please watch that? (laughs) And I, I don't think that the producers understand why people watch this show either. I think they're kind of blind to it. And for me, this season was evidence of that. It's like, we want to see the game. We want to see what these players can do on these group dates. I don't really care about like the drama at the house. I do, I guess a little bit, if it's like very important, But I always want to see the actual game as it's happening. And yeah, like you're saying, they cut out three halves of extremely important group dates. Group dates are some of the hardest things to navigate as a player. And we didn't even get to see who got the group date rows on some of those. The group date rows is one of the hardest things that you can get in the game. One of the most valuable trophies. And we didn't even see how those were acquired.
2: I can't even remember a season where one date, the day portion was cut out. And then we get a a season with three of them cut out. It was
0: amazing. Number one, a barbecue on Claire's season.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, we did get one uh, earlier this summer with Claire. Um, okay, let's move on to the After Thunder Rose with Emmanuel. The thing that struck me the most was, and I tweeted at it last night, and I hinted at it, but we were basically a 13 minute Chris Harrison interview on Extra away from him actually being the host of that show last night, and how uncomfortable and awkward that would have been you could still take out the fact that like if chris harrison we never knew his thoughts publicly about antebellum mm-hmm. and, and racism and stuff like that chris harrison was would have been completely and maybe it's just speaking from bias because we've seen how emmanuel handed himself on stage with matt james but when i'm watching emmanuel Acho interview matt james and talk about what it's like to be a black man in this country it resonated with me and I'm white like it was a powerful moment to watch that. And I'm just thinking, God, can you imagine if Chris Harrison didn't fuck up on extra? He would have been conducting this interview and it would have been terrible, terrible.
0: I, I can't imagine it because we saw it in the first episode. We saw I, I, Which was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. And that's like, I have a lot of pressure. And DLH is like, how so? It's just. ugh. I mean, maybe he would have ended up outing himself. He would have done the same thing that he did on Extra, but on After the Final Rose, although they would have had more power over editing.
1: Yeah. And they wouldn't have gone in-depth with any of those conversations. They would have handled it in a very surface way. I don't think they would have put the picture of Rachel Kirkconnell in the antebellum dress up on a screen. I don't think they would have made her answer for any of that, except in a vague kind of way, like, now there's some controversy about you, and how has that affected your relationship with Matt James? That's all that would have been. And I mean, for what it's worth, I, I agree with you hundred percent. That conversation was like moving powerful. It's something we've never seen before in the history of bachelor, like Frank conversations about race between people of color. And I don't know if this is like a real turning point or if it's a thing where the producers are like, okay, we got through that one now back to business as usual, I don't know, yeah. but I'm hopeful that it truly does make some kind of a lasting change in the game.
0: Yeah, you wonder. Yeah. You wonder that. By you, far, the most compelling after the final rose I've ever seen. Oh yeah, I thought Otto did a fucking phenomenal job.
2: And you wonder, like a part of me thinks, even though Caitlyn and Tasha are hosting the next season of the Bachelorette, a part of me thinks Emmanuel is going to be the after the final rose host. Like I can't see the two of them hosting after the final rose this, this for Katie's season. I just don't see it. I think Emmanuel might be. Like, I don't watch the show, but I know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Like, Married at First Sight doesn't have a host, but I think Kevin Frazier hosts the reunion show every year. It could be something along those lines. The the Challenge on MTV is always hosted by one of their people. It's hosted by sometimes, uh, you know, a wrestler named, you know, The Miz, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's hosted by one of the other MTV VJs and whatnot. So maybe this is their thing now, that rotating hosts, whoever the host may be during the season, but then they bring in manual for the after the final rose and women tell all i don't know i it, we I, it just it's early time will tell but i really thought that conversation last night was was so good and um I think he did an excellent job and it was like you said Chad we just haven't seen it before it's just amazing we're 19 years in 41 seasons in and the first time we saw two black people on stage talking to each other it's crazy <laughs> but <Yeah>. i mean <laughs> it's you know in terms of a host and a, and a contestant and it was just yeah. if chris harrison if you took emmanuel's words and just put chris harrison in that seat and had chris harrison repeat all the stuff that emmanuel said it still wouldn't have resonated it wouldn't have because it wouldn't have been genuine i don't think no chris harrison also has been doing this job since 2002 twice a
1: year since 2003 or more times a year if you want to throw in paradise and was it dear heart and winter games like every other thing that he's hosted it's like even if he wanted to be sincere that ain't ever happening he is like dead to this whole thing and he might you know hold it close to him in terms of like his role in it and helping shape it and viewing himself as the father of the franchise and all this kind of stuff but in terms of actually caring about these people how many cycles of these people has he had to like care about and in the beginning, it was probably easy because it was novel and it was fun and he was young. Now he's old and he's tired and he's seen this cycle repeat 41 times. There's no way he can be invested in what anyone is saying at any point in any of these shows. And for Emmanuel Ocho, it was like, holy shit, he got tapped to do this. It was exciting. He was like putting on his his best work right there. Whereas I think Dark Lord Harrison's best work was probably season 17, Sean Lowe. And we ain't going back to that time. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I think, and Emmanuel, just the way um, he speaks with such passion, and if you read his book, I got his book over the weekend, and I'm about a third of the way through it, and literally the things that he said on that show last night are directly from his book, like the thing about Mm -hmm. um, history and uh, about how— he didn't think Rachel was a racist or there's a difference between being racist and being racially incentive and uh, insensitive and racially ignorant. Those are all straight out of his book. And guy is uh, is very well versed, uh, really thought he did a great job. And I, all I kept thinking of was, oh, my God, I can't believe that if Chris doesn't misspeak, he's hosting this thing. And it would have been so awkward.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, what it would, was fucking awkward in the episode like forget after the final rose all the conversations he had with Matt James in the final episode were terribly awkward, that weird one where they're sitting on the curb and we get a shot of as Matt James gets up and walks away there's just this single shot of Chris Harrison sitting on the curb by himself kind of watching Matt James walk away very ominous and creepy the shot where Chris Harrison is walking up to Matt James in the woods at the final altar also very creepy, ominous, threatening it's <laughs> It's just like, I don't know if it's his age or his indifference toward everything that now happens, or at least that's what I'm, what's being conveyed to me as I'm watching him. But I just like, I don't think he has it anymore. That spark in his eye for this job is gone. And I think after this uh, entire season and the scandal and everything, it's like,
2: I don't know how you ever get it back.
0: But yet that's you- part of I don't see him returning, Is I'm like, he's also just tired and probably doesn't want to deal with this anymore.
2: But yet he goes on GMA and tells Michael Strahan, I still want to do this. This is my show. This is my job. Like so That's where I was confused because I agree with you in that it just seems like Chris is kind of over it. And it didn't matter to him whether he got his job back or not. But his he seemed like, at least on GMA, that he was still fighting for yeah. this thing and wants it. So it is terribly confusing because I I I, I, I don't know. But if it's not him, who is it? Is it a rotating host? Are Caitlin and Tasha just stop gaps for one season, and we're going to get somebody permanent starting at Paradise? I just, I just don't, I don't know. Um, I really don't.
0: Yeah, I, the only motivation is he wants to go out on a good note. You know, he wants to yeah. go out on a beautiful Chris Harrison montage, not uh, riddled in scandal.
1: Not doing voiceover for his own replacement.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about a talk about a meta moment. I mean, it was like, what the? This is so bizarre. Chris Harrison is saying, and next coming up next, Emmanuel Acho will sit down with Matt Harrison. Matt Harrison. Matt James. Uh, God, that was so weird. And everybody yeah. and everybody on social media was pointing it out. Like, what is he doing voicing this? Doesn't make any sense. I thought he was stepping away from the show. Clearly, this guy was in it in some form or fashion into the very last episode of the season. Crazy. Oh, by the way, I haven't even checked I'm going to pull it up right now as I'm talking to you guys. I haven't even checked the ratings for last night. Did you? Yeah, um, I just got them. They they pulled a, They were up. They were pull, they they had 5.7 million and a 1.4 which going by past seasons is awful. Like because and I say that because past seasons who was the last? Peter was the last season. His first episode drew 6 million people, and his finale drew 8.5 million. Colton drew 5.1 in his first episode, drew 8.2 million in the finale. Ari, 5.5 5 million in the first episode, 7.7 7 in the last episode. So just just the last three seasons, first episode was right around 5 million, last episode anywhere between... and 7.7 Matt James 5 million in the first episode. So it started off just like the other ones did yet. He draws 5.7 in the finale and a 1.4 rating where the other ones were Mm 2.5, 2.2 and um, 2.4. I mean, that's not good. Um, It is.
1: I, I agree. It's not good, but I, I, always say, and I believe this to be true, that some of it is just bleed off of network television. Yeah. As baby boomers die and you know, those are the only people who have cable TV at this point. Those are the only places you're getting Nielsen ratings from. It's like no Gen Z people who are watching The Bachelor are contributing to those numbers.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, as as I'm diving into the numbers while, while it did, and look, the episode itself, the two-hour episode is what drew 5.7. The After the Final mm. Rose, which is usually the uptick, because people want to see, wow, I want to see the new host, I want to see what happens with Matt and Rachel, that mm. drew 5.2. So they lost 500,000 viewers once the show was over, and every single other one of those seasons that I just read you, the After the Final Rose drew more than the two hours preceding it. So that's interesting. However, if you do a deeper dive... I mean, overall for the night, it drew a 1.2 in adults, uh, 18 to 34, 1.4 in 18 to 49, and a 1.6 in adults, 25 to 54, and an 11 share, women, 18 to 49. The only, the, the second highest show last night on television drew an, a, a, a five, uh, an 8 share in women, 18 to 49, mm-hmm. and that was The Voice. And so the fact that it did three more shares in The Voice, I mean, it just shows that while overall ratings are down, their demo of women eighteen to forty nine, which is all advertisers care about, they, yep, they killed it, like they always do. They they win their two hours women eighteen to forty nine every Monday, and that's why. And shit, everybody after everything that happened this season, everybody's like, oh, I'm not gonna watch. If this is why is this all about race? I'm not watching anymore. Chris Harrison's not the host. I'm not watching. Well, this show just added another show for this for twenty twenty one. Like it's not going anywhere, and in fact, it's adding more shows. As we got that's to me show.
1: that was like Michelle Young being announced as the next next Bachelorette is fantastic on a for a whole variety of reasons but that is what I really keyed into was like holy shit they're gonna do another Bachelor season that means the show is still making Warner Brothers and ABC just boat loads of fucking money
2: yeah I mean Lizzie are you are Lizzie are you by any chance looking forward to one season over the other between Katie and Michelle or are you just like I'm good with both of them. Like, are you fine with the fact that we're getting the two bachelorettes? Did you like that twist?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a little bit sad that we're having a little less of an off offseason. Yeah. But to me, they were the two best players of the season, and they totally deserve it. Um, and they're also two of the best social media players as well. Michelle Young, you've never seen it. She has about... 12 Instagram photos now. Yeah. She d- did the deepest Instagram scrub of anyone we've ever seen. <laughs> and it's working. It's an experimental strategy.
2: Yeah. I remember at the beginning of the season when I had you on, Michelle had two. Well, <laughs> she had two posts. That was it. Yeah. And she had, Incredible. It, it was, it was bizarre. Cause I was like, does this woman even care about Instagram? Does she know what show she's about to go on? Like, this is how you curate your whole profile and your whole demeanor to the viewing audience is what you put out on instagram and she had two photos now granted when the first cast list came out she wasn't on it because they didn't want to spoil that oh by the way five women were coming on you know in episode Mm -hmm. four but still she had the just zero social media game whatsoever and now she has like you said 11 12 photos yet she has two hundred thousand followers and probably by the time her season is done probably close to a million I don't see why not, you know?
1: I think she could crack it. I'm super excited for both of them because this is for Lizzie and I. We have been talking about game strategy and openly telling any, you know, prospective players who are listening to please follow our strategies and it will help get you the crown. It will help get you the ring. And we feel like this season was the first one where we actually saw that happening. Multiple players this season, uh, I think, listened to our podcast and I think many of them benefited in very big ways, we will say. (laughs) And so I think it's... um, for us, it's very exciting to see that we're actually having some influence over how the game is being played at this point with all the work we're putting into, you know, meticulously cataloging all the plays and coming up with these strategies and writing about it and talking about it and all that stuff. And it's cool to see it start to elevate to what I really feel is going to be a huge professional sport in the next 10 years.
0: As well as something that we've been talking about for a while, which is a unionization play. We haven't seen it on the show, but that's part of why chris harrison isn't returning we saw the players unionize and release those statements together uh both the bachelorette and the bachelor players from this past season issued that statement after the chris harrison interview supporting rachel Lindsay, and that made this story blow up and become international news and force the producer's hand Um, Not saying that we caused that to happen, but, you know, it is something that we are very excited to see is sort of the (laughs) players gain some sort of power and realize that, you know, the show needs them to make money.
1: I won't say that we caused that to happen, but I will just say we talk about it on every episode and we <laughs> literally always tell the players that if they band together and use social media to paint the producers into corners, the producers will then have to manipulate the show to fit whatever you're doing on social media. So we do say that on every episode, but maybe we didn't cause it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, <clears throat> we're days away from Katie's season beginning filming. I've only put about I'm assuming we're going to get, you know, 30 to 33 guys on night one. I've released nine of them, so less than a third. But anybody that jumps out to you of the nine that I release, I know you've put them all out there on your Instagram as well. And anybody that jumps out to you in terms of, I don't know, a job, their look, their social media game already. We, can, but I mean, all their social medias are private, the ones that I've looked at anyway. Yeah, I think outside of um, – uh, yeah, I have it written down of who's public and who's private as of when I posted them. I once I posted them, I know a couple mm-hmm. were public, but they might have gone private since I have been told. Yeah. I've been told the guys have to give up their phones tomorrow. So interesting. When I, which means that I think it's starting filming Friday or Saturday. Um, Mikey Planeta and Josh Monday were public as of yesterday, but I don't know if they've changed.
1: So, and Josh Monday is the ex-husband of Mikha Cooper. right. Yeah. that's kind of interesting to me. Have we ever seen that before? No,
2: not that I know of. I think we've seen ex I think we've seen people that have maybe dated right, but not an ex that'd be like, yeah, I mean and, and trust me, i I even got and, and no joke here that's funny that you brought it up, but I actually got an email from Josh Burrell saying, wow, Katie's cute. Maybe I should go on her season. Like, he sent that. <laughs> Holy
1: shit. <laughs> oh, my God. And I, I mean, it's like once you're in that world, even peripherally, you're yeah. in that world forever.
2: And the funny thing is, I don't think Josh watches the show, but I think he saw the announcement because he literally emailed me this like a week ago. So he clearly mm-hmm. is not going on the show because, I, you know, they're, they're well into the process and guys are already quarantining and have been since last Thursday and Friday. But I just thought it was funny that Josh Burrell emailed me and said that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as of yesterday, Mikey and Josh were the only two that um, mm. were public. And I don't know if they have since gone private. But, yeah, after tomorrow, I expect everybody to be uh,
1: yeah. private. They're initiating I, that Quinta lockdown yeah. like they did with all those players.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think I'll think i have three or four more tonight, so we should be up to about 12 or mm. or 13. So that's good. It just helps me when they release the cast, I'm assuming, tomorrow. Um, it'll just mean less I need to find, but uh, mm-hmm. it's still gonna be. I mean, even if I get up to thirteen tonight and they release thirty to thirty-three, that's still twenty guys I'm gonna have to, you know, know. search for all day tomorrow. Some are easy to find right away because those are all named like Matt and yeah, Josh. Yeah, Matt, Matt R in uh, you know San Diego, California. It's like okay, <laughs> yeah. it's either either somebody that knows him has got to email me or I'm just never gonna find him on a basic search because. They only give you yeah. first name and last initial. So, you know, we'll have to see yeah, what happens. Frustrating
0: but. When, when all of their Instagrams are private, it's a lot harder to make our hundred percent accurate predictions. Yeah. It yeah. is, it is, uh, it is interesting that there are so many ties to X players. And I wonder if that's something we're just going to see more and more, you know, Hannah G training, Hannah sluss or Hannah, Yeah. Hannah G training, Hannah and Correct. Um, I know Brendan, he's friends with
2: uh, Blake, Moynes, Blake Moynes, right? Yeah, Blake Moynes. Yeah. I he... like
0: the look
1: of Caravello. He's my favorite so far just because of his, his Instagram handle is Captain Volcano. <laughs> so he gets my vote <laughs> immediately.
2: And the thing was, and the, the pictures that I have of Jeff Caravello are like, I think they're all from the college, and he's 31. So these are, mm-hmm. I don't have anything new of him outside of his default picture. Mm-hmm. On um, Instagram, because the picture I did post is him and his Wagner, you know, hoodie or pullover when he played yeah. track and field at Wagner. But he hasn't been at Wagner since, you know, eight or nine years ago. So um, right. that's mm-hmm. an old picture.
0: That's what I'm drawn to. He's so youthful looking for <laughs> 31.
1: <laughs> you're like, this guy looks like he's 18 years old. Yeah.
0: Well, then, again,
2: <laughs> then again, then again, it's also hilarious that, I mean, Katie's 30. And if you told me before the season. If you just showed me that girl's Instagram account and didn't give me a chance to look at her background, I would have said, what is she, 20? I mean, she looks like she's 18 or 20 years old, just very young-looking mm-hmm. in her face. She doesn't strike me as 30 years old at all. I mean, not at all. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm so fascinated as what that season is going to be like.
2: Because Katie,
0: like, that's her whole thing. Her brand is that she's... You sex, know, sex positive sticks to herself and she stays with her convictions. I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, grandstanding, you know, Hannah mm-hmm. Brown being like, this is my show. Like you don't treat me like that kind of thing. Or that's why I didn't date men like that. Claire Crawley. <laughs> you always see moments.
1: <laughs> I think she's going to be doing that kind of stuff to the producers. I think Katie Thurston is going to drastically and fundamentally change the nature of the game. When the producers come to her and say, Hey, Today, we're going to do a forced violence date where all the guys have to box each other in the head or do some kind of, you know, physical martial combat. I think she's going to be like, no, I'm not doing that. Instead, we're going to have these drinks or a forced nudity date or something like that. I think she is going to take charge of this season in a way we have not seen a lead do yet.
2: What do you think is the most sexual innuendo out of the limo entrance we're going to get this season? Because it's common.
0: Oh yes. I have already been wondering whether we call a type of limo exit a tot, a trick or treat, if they're wearing a costume. And I was like, Are we gonna see someone dressed as a dildo? A dildo (laughs) They have to black box his entire body. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he just yeah, he just just comes out of limo naked.
0: (laughs) Maybe a flashlight is like one step too far for A B C but I'm I know we're gonna get some overtly sexual probably a lot of overtly sexual limo exits.
2: I mean, it's it's really interesting to look at because, you know, Katie came out with the dildo and it's like and that's perfectly acceptable in society to talk about, you know, female masturbation like it happens. She brought out a dildo, which is basically referencing like, hey, and she even said it in her speech to Matt, like I brought my friend with me because I know I'm going to be alone or like like basically she's insinuating like I'm going to masturbate while I'm here at Nemecolon. Here's what here's my toy that I'm using. But if a guy did that out of the limo, like, what does he bring? Like, oh hey, hey Katie, um, my name is, uh, you know, Mike, uh, I'm Mikey Planeta, and um, you know, here's a bottle of lube I brought because I know I'm going to be jerking off a lot. <laughs> like, what? It, it's hilarious oh how Katie's God. is acceptable, but there's the the flip side is <laughs> clearly you're not acceptable. Pringle. What I think
0: you're right,
1: bottle of lube. I I can see that some guy's going to come out with lotion for sure. That's a hundred percent.
2: But it's like, that's not acceptable. I don't think a guy saying, hey, because Katie basically was saying, I need to masturbate during this. I brought my friend because I like using this toy when I masturbate. Mm-hmm. A guy can't, but a guy telling Katie he's going to jerk off during this experience is not acceptable. <laughs> so he can't say that, right? It's going
1: to happen. I mean, whether it's acceptable or not, that's going to happen. I think we're all talking about the same thing here.
2: <laughs> well, I guess, uh, yeah, then, I, then prepare for it, but, ladies and gentlemen, because it looks like we're going to get some reference to guys masturbating, because that's what Katie was all to do. Uh,
0: oh, i if she will do any experimental plays you know, maybe
2: eliminate all the white guys night one. I really want that to happen at some point. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I look, we you know, like I said, we've only got a third of the, I have less than a third of the guys. So we still have 20 to 25 guys that we just don't know about. And mm. I, I think two of the other, two of the four that I have to release tonight, I believe are BIPOC. So that brings us up to four of the 13 that I have are, are BIPOC, which is, you know we're gonna get a diverse cast again but Mm -hmm. again they've shown that just because they have a diverse cast doesn't mean they know how to produce them so um right it'll be interesting to see what happens um again i'm sure i'll have you on end of july when this season ends um maybe even have you on before uh you know do another preview before we head into the season as we know a little bit more uh coming up in the next two months but um Chad, Lizzie, thanks so much uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Always fun with you guys. And uh, have a good off-season. And um, both of us have a lot of work knowing that we have a second <laughs> season that's been added. When We've got Jesus. four more seasons to film in 2021. Uh, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, but fun nonetheless. Thanks uh, thanks again, guys, for coming on.
0: Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank thanks you so much. for making it through this season. <laughs>
2: yeah. You got it. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, man. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much to Chad and Lizzie for coming on. Really appreciate that. They're a lot of fun. Their predictions at the beginning of the season weren't that great, apparently. Uh, Nobody was able to even predict a Final Four girl. Chad predicting Piper was the closest. She got fifth. Uh, I don't think Lizzie had anybody that finished in the top ten. But uh, their stuff and their assessment of this show and the gameplay aspect of it is 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 really fascinating the way they break it down. I enjoy it and I'm, you know, I look forward to it because it's just not a way that I usually look at it. While I know this is kind of a game show in my mind and these are contestants to me, I just don't look at it in the, in the, in the view that they do. But I, I really, I thoroughly enjoy the way they do it. And um, I know you guys like me having them on this podcast and I'll probably go on theirs in the future, but it's always great to have them on. So again, Thank you to Chad and Lizzie for that. And thank you for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. Much appreciated. And we will be back next week with a Temptation Island guest or two, one of the singles or two of the singles. Temptation Island airs every Tuesday night on the USA Network, ten nine Central. So check that out. And... You know, the offseason is here, so there'll be less writing. But if you want to follow along, you want to keep up to date on what's going on on KD's season, any information I get will go immediately first to Twitter and Instagram before it goes to my column. So definitely follow along there. Both accounts are at RealitySteven. So thank you to Chad and Lizzie. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you next week. See you!